Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today we have Frank Quintata, CIO from Miami Beach. Frank, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. I'm very excited that we were able to make this happen. We went to dinner, what was it, six weeks ago? I can't remember. It was something yeah. like that, maybe two months yeah. ago. It's all aboard. <laughs> and I can still remember the giant pasta bowl that they threw the pasta in and then they kind of mixed it with the cheese and <laughs> I, the only reason I want to go back is because I didn't have that and I need the gluten-free version of that I want to try and then I was highly jealous that you were eating right next to me with that anyways extra gluten <laughs> extra gluten yeah sometimes when people are a little aggressive with the gluten-free and they'll tell me like hey now this is extra gluten I'm like <laughs> I didn't choose this <laughs> anyways Frank for those in the audience who maybe aren't familiar with you or don't know you yet, um, can you just kick off with your background with the Miami Dolphins and then kind of the last eight plus years with Miami Beach? Now, a quick word from one of our brand partners. Nagar is a leading provider of digital government services, partnering with state, local, and federal clients on some of their most strategic technology projects. Nagar offers expertise in digital services, legacy modernization, case management, data and AI, service desk, cybersecurity, and more. Check out Nagaro.com. That's N-A-G-A-R-R-O. I actually didn't start my career with the Dolphins. I had a couple stops before that, but I took what I thought at the time was a great opportunity to jump over for a role with the Dolphins. It began at the time as what was going to be a short-term in internship with the IT department. And 11 years later, I left with a ton of memories, a ton of experience, a couple grays, and just a lot of great stories after that. I got to work all kinds of events. I was responsible for supporting a lot of the stadium operations, team operations, team travel, some major international events. And that's really just taken off even more since I've been away from the team with F1 and a lot of the other world-class events that they've turned that facility into. So you said you got a couple little gray hairs from that job. <laughs> a couple. This place rounded me out with the rest of them. So. It rounded you out. Because you look pretty good. Like my wife started using this term. I think it's like silver fox or something like that. <laughs> I'm too young. I'm not there yet. But I'm like, when I grow up, I definitely want to have a good looking. I'm trying to really grow in the beard, but I'm hoping it kind of looks really good. Kind of like yours when, when I get a little bit older. But no, seriously, I'm not playing around with that. <laughs> I'm really hoping it, it comes in a little bit better. So on that front, okay, so you've got the Miami Dolphins. And it was it been the last eight years with, with, Miami, with Miami Beach? Yeah, I came here okay. well, a little more at this point. It, I came over in 2014 to, to the beach. At the time, they were looking to revamp how IT was running, improve support, kind of modernize a lot of infrastructure, th things that were really in line with a lot of my infrastructure and operations experience. I, I was looking for a change at that point, and this seemed like a great opportunity to give back a little in the public sector, right around the corner, an area that I would visit a lot when I was younger. And it's, it was a, it's been a great opportunity. I've been able to do quite a number of things here. I've had a number of roles in my years here with the city, been able to really put together the team that we have here today in different capacities, and it's been a great stop, and we got some great people here. 
Yeah, I love that. And normally I don't actually come up with the podcast title for the episodes <laughs> in advance because normally I just I'm like, I kind of want to see where the conversation is going to go. I like to always hear from the guest, but we got to talk for an hour when we were in Miami in like the Marriott, what is it, the snack room, some, <laughs> whatever that, that <laughs> yeah. va- vacation snack room was. Yeah. And so I, immediately I was like building rewarding teams. And I don't know if you said it or if it just spoke to me, but it was either one of those. But that's literally what we're going to cover today because we just, as the leader, it's just, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the nope. team and the it team sure that is. you can build around you. And so that's going to be kind of the premise for today's show. So we'll kick, we'll, kick, we'll just jump right into it. It's building rewarding teams. You kind of, on the intro call, we were talking, you mentioned you come from a family of educators, which is pretty cool. I don't know if everyone, not everyone has that kind of background. How has that influenced your approach? to building teams and what kind of, what have you taken from your family? I'd say I, I was born and raised in Miami, like a lot of other families here. A lot of us came from immigrant families and our parents may have come here as kids or as teenagers. And I think it really framed things for the specific cultural generation that I'm a part of where they came here and they wanted to do better for their family and live the American dream and give the opportunity. So, I mean, education was always a really strong foundation at home when I was growing up. My mother was a teacher for many years. I had a number of other teachers in my family. It was just something I was always around. Family get-togethers were always talking shop between them. So it was always a big part of that. As a matter of fact, going into college initially, I had gone in as a special ed major. And I did that almost until the end when I decided to kind of make a change and go to technology, which was always a love of mine. But it really, at home, my family, that's just the environment I grew up in, it always really fostered a love for learning, even outside typical academics. It was always, there was books around. It's just to be inquisitive about the things around you. I think it helped foster my tendency to want to build things and figure things out as it was, which I think is a lot of what's, what helped me be successful, especially earlier on in technology, tinkering with things and trying to figure out what to do. And when I got to the Dolphins, You know, this situation was a little bit different because we didn't have a very large team. I think people in general, when I've told them where I worked when I was there, just talking to some of my peers at the other teams, they always thought, it's the NFL, right? There's this big money, it's this big production. But the reality of it is the majority of teams, it's a pretty small shop, which is a great opportunity because you you tend to learn a lot and you get exposed to a lot of things. The problem is that there's also not a lot of people. So a lot of the teams that I had there that I was a part of, we're really focused around interns, like how my career there started. So every year we'd have interns that would come, we'd interview them, they'd be there committed for a year. And I learned pretty quickly that I needed to figure out a way to make sure that they would get onboarded, they'd be able to produce, really started to learn more about hiring the right type of person with the right skill sets, as opposed to a resume full of certifications. They started in tech in the late 90s when everybody was getting an MCS, ABC, whatever it was at the time. Learning to put together the right groups of people, the right skills, really fostering what it takes to be a team was incredibly important for us at that time because in a year I had to get you functional, contributing, and hopefully send you out back to the workforce for other career opportunities where you really had learned something. And over the years, the more we did it, the easier it became to bring people on board and really just some incredibly productive and talented young people that we had when we were there. I've been doing this now for long enough where it's kind of come full circle, where I've had the opportunity to work with them again later in in their careers and my careers, just to see where they came from. And that's been incredibly rewarding. 
It was also, I, I learned there the value. I mean, for me personally, I've always learned by watching and especially by doing. I just, I have a natural tendency that if I do it, I don't forget it, right? But I, I found that it was practical to teach the same way. So we would teach the people that would come by, look, this is how you do it. This is what it takes. Can you explain it to me, right? Because I, I believe that if you can teach it, you understand it. And a lot of times you'd get the nodding heads like, yeah, I get it. Then I hand them a marker and go ahead and explain to me what it is that, that we just did. And that type of hands-on teaching, I guess, was indirectly influenced by my background, just academically, but also what I grew up around. And I've held on to that. I mean, it's been incredibly successful for me personally. It doesn't work everywhere for everyone, but it's been a big part of how I've been able to, over the course of my career, bring especially younger, less experienced people and bring them into that kind of our pipeline. So they can continue to grow within the department. Okay. So I'm going to pause right there. That was fantastic. So that last part right there, teach it and understand it, hand it to them. Just this morning, we kicked off our summer league first practice. We had two tryouts. It was the first practice. And so we started with out of bounds plays and we started, we kind of showed them, we did the walkthrough. Do you understand it? And then you hand them the ball and then some kids are they're kind of, and you're like, trying to help them they kind of like pause and you're kind of walking them through and then they all get it right and then you go great hey caleb go switch with micah and then they're like oh i didn't know this position and you're like oh, but i thought you knew the play and so you kind of get the team and it just takes reps for them to see it and then even something as a coach that i've learned is they can do it in practice once they've mastered it in practice then you've got to get them to master it during game time because when game time happens, is, is your, it's like sometimes just different personalities show up. Some people get scared. Like it's a real reality. And so you've got to, yeah. you've got to, and it's a great kind of teaching moment. So I love that you hand them the marker and, and have them try and explain it back to you, which is, I think it's a great mechanism for retaining information. Yeah. And when you mentioned you to give it to them and it's okay to make the mistake, right? That's something that we've tried to do as well with some of the staff as they're growing. And let's say you, you were a tech and now you want to become more of a system administrator, right? Getting them phased into those types of things where one thing is what you learn in the certification and what you learn academically. The other is when you key punch and you hit enter on something and you just lost an entire system. That, that moment of panic is part of the learning experience, right? It's especially when we have the bandwidth to be able to groom some of those types of skill sets in-house, it's important to, to provide some structure where your team can fail almost in a controlled environment so that they learn from it. Not to say that you want them to shut down production, right? But that's just enough so that they learn how to troubleshoot their way and even settle nerves. Like you mentioned, sometimes when you're out in the middle of a game or you're in the moment and you're the one actually doing it, it takes on a very real sense of what's happening. And those really are the learning experiences. Yeah. And uh, yeah, making a mistake, it's okay. I mean, we were just talking about this morning about, hey, look, this is the classroom. This is the, we're gonna play our first game tomorrow night. And I mean, this is the time to ask questions. And so it's always great when you get the kids like, yeah, I totally understand. And then you're like, okay, run it. And they're like, okay, maybe I didn't exactly. Sorry, coach. Or, right. or with kids, what's great is we started at 8 a.m. And we had seven kids and we just give them a hard time. But they're like yawning, right? You're like, hey, are you okay? Did you see the play? <laughs> right? So yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun time. I love the parallels of teaching, whether it's just in the work environment or, or in sports. And especially with, we didn't use the word, but I think it's missing a lot today is when we think about kind of onboarding 
new people mm -hmm. and spending the time, whether it's making sure that there's the right documentation or the right, just the right amount of time that's required to get folks up to speed so that they're like, okay, hey, I got it. And then I can teach it, which is really great. So mm -hmm. I wanted to jump to a specific example around a time where you built a team. It doesn't have to be like, it could be kind of a micro team, but but a time when you built a team that was really fulfilling and kind of, what did you think were like the main factors for the team's success? It's, we've been through, a, the only thing that's been consistent in my time here with the city so far has been a relentless pace of change for a number of reasons. And we've undergone a number of changes here with the department, even organizationally, the way we've structured it. So a couple years, three years ago, the city made a decision to move from the traditional structure we had here within IT, and they wanted to go out and find the city's first CIO. And they wanted us to focus more on being innovative, being out there more, not necessarily being the IT department that's kind of always hiding in the shadows and doing the thing and fixing your printer, right? So to take more of an active role and be more exposed in the sense to add value to the organization. And when that happened... And the city hired their CIO. He, he brought me over from the role that I was in before as his deputy. And one of the first conversations we had around that was, what would you do with your understanding of this department and the organization? What makes sense, right, for the department? This is the time to change it. So we went through, through an extensive internal assessment process of looking at, okay, forget about the org chart. Let's talk about the people, right? What are people good at? What are our pain points? Most departments that have been doing this for a while, you'll track metrics and you'll have analytics and all that's fine. But if you can't really apply it to what you're trying to solve and even define what problem you're trying to solve, it makes it very difficult to make any kind of intelligible choices. What we did is we broke the team up into multiple sub teams, which before it was a very kind of linear, you're either this or that. And in hindsight, the fact that we did that when it did was great because it hit and became official about 45 days before COVID. So it, what we did is we took a look at all the roles that we had, all of our staff, what they were good at, the types of projects they were working on, and we put them in more functional groups. Yes, it applied to something on an org chart, but we looked at people that maybe were on separate teams before that had, to, had touch points, right, or had similar skills, similar interests, and we really realigned the entire department and made it more team focused. And surprisingly, because the majority of the staff that we had already been here for a while, we kind of knew each other. I think a lot of staff looked at that as a challenge or it was a little refreshing because it helped break down some of the internal barriers that the department had. That's not me, let me toss it over the fence. Now there was no fence and everybody was in the same playground and everybody just had to share the ball and learn to hand off and kind of work through it, which was, which was great. And we still had traditional operations teams. We had software development. We created a new data and analytics team at that point, which we kind of pieced together with some people from different teams. That was something that was all new. We introduced the security team. We built up some project management capabilities that we didn't have before. And I think that outside of putting smaller teams together, which we've done extensively for project-based things or, or just new initiatives, I think that overall kind of restructuring that we did and how we looked at it, not trying to copy somebody else's org chart or, or not following something from a global research company of what it should look like, but really trying to take it through the lens of this is what we have, this is what we're good at, this is what we're not. Where, where do you introduce training opportunities, cross-training, what teams need to be cross-functional? That, that ended up being incredibly successful for us. And it came at a great time before we all kind of had to deal with the, with the pandemic. I love that. So you said you kind of share the ball and hand off 
mixing up the teams. Something I found in organization, we love doing this with the kids is today. We had all of the groups together. We don't every day have all of the teams. So it's the Frasha, JV, a varsity. And uh, it's a, it's pretty comical to have, and it just kind of breaks down barriers and walls, but to go, Hey, do you know that kid's name over there? And they're like, no, I have no idea. And it's like someone on varsity. And then you ask one of the kids on varsity, Hey, do you know someone who's that freshman over there? And they're like, I got no idea who they are. And so that kind of starts to break the walls down so that they can kind of communicate. And so it's one kind of program or one family or one organization. And so the, if I was going to take this in the public sector, it's like someone in the data analytics team knows what someone's doing on the customer experience side and that there's this understanding of, oh, we see how the whole team or organization kind of works together for the greater mission. So I love that. Absolutely. Okay. So this is a shout out to my buddy, Justin Fair, who was the CIO for the city of Goodyear out in Arizona, got promoted. Now the deputy city manager, he gave me a book when I was visiting him. We had a, like a late night PF Changs. I love PF Changs. I'm like totally down to go. If anyone ever wants to go to PF Changs, hit me up. He gave me the Phoenix project. So this is where I kind of first came across this book and it's really great. So I've shared it on a number of podcasts, but you mentioned to me that you also really like this book, Frank. So, yeah. but I never really asked you like, what were some of your favorite parts? Like what part of that book have you maybe implemented with your own team? Kind of just love to hear your insights on that. Yeah, it's, I don't have the time to read as often as I probably should, but someone did turn me on to this and I heard it first as an audio book. Then I went back and, and I read the paper copy because uh, I bought a bunch of paper copies and started handing it out to some people within our team that I thought would be really relatable to them. Or as we were looking at the reorg and some of the things like, Hey, why don't you take a look at this? This might give you an idea of what those things are. Right. And as I read the book, I mean, some parts of it professionally gave me some PTSD of things that I had gone through and there were specific themes there. I guess it's one of those things where with experience, you kind of know what you're doing, but you haven't really articulated it correctly. And I mean, there were topics in the book that I kept, I'd listen or I'd read through a section and it was really kind of a moment of self-reflection of some of the things that I had gone through. Just actually the serendipitously, the state that we were in as a department and some of the changes we were going through, the importance of cross-functional teams, right? When we looked at how it is that we put together what we had. I, I actually ended up reading the book at the same time we were looking at that. And so oh, you see, this could work, right? Understanding something that, that I don't think is unique to public sector. I think it happens in a lot of places. IT has always traditionally been very reactive to things because sometimes there's a lack of structure, right? As far as managing the type of work that hits you, right? Like your whip, right, Joe? So you know, what work do you have? What shows up? What's an emergency? What's not? And try to make things more predictable so that you can actually be productive. And part of that is some self-reflection to understand where your constraints are. And it's all based off a, it's the entire story is framed around manufacturing principles, right? How do you get box a product of parts from point A to a completed product at point Z? And we really started to look at that as a management team and looking at, okay, where are the things? And it was a good exercise for us to kind of start looking through some of those things and identify where the constraints were, right? Something that's still to this day, a challenge for us. And I, I don't know very many people that do what we do professionally that don't tell you that prioritization is always a challenge, right? There are the things you do to keep the lights on. And then there's the pressure to innovate. And then there's 
all the other things that show up at your doorstep. And sometimes getting a handle around those things tends to be pretty challenging. I mean, that's something that to this day is still a concern for us that we try to work through week over week. They did a lot of discussion about the importance of communication and collaboration within a team. And going back to the previous question you had about the reorg, being able to identify where those touch points were to improve, right? So it's not just an internal blame thing. How do we work together? How do we figure this out? It's everybody's problem, right? It's We've had a number of instances as a department where we've talked about during our all staffs. It's look, we try to call out the little amazing things that our team does that usually fall through the cracks for most people, right? Because when you raise the bar, that becomes a standard. And then all it takes is that one bad day for one that one silly thing, and it changes the perception for everyone, right? So we try to celebrate a lot of those little things that the team does because it, it helps over, over the course of the time. So they understand, yes, we're tech, yes, we're behind the scenes, but those things are also important. And one of the things that we try to encourage, going back to the, the staffing portion, right? Like how do we teach? How do we apply that? Having a growth mindset for our staff is something we really look for a lot because the reality of it is that we're in tech and you can teach just about any of this to someone that has the right skill sets. We're not putting someone on the moon. We're not curing cancer, right? But if you're wired the right way and it's part of how we do our interviews, we want you to be driven by wanting to learn and always having that drive to learn more, to experience more. And when you expand that and, and that becomes central to part of what you do as a team, I think that it also helps ensure that it's kind of like a blameless culture. It's okay to make the mistakes because you're learning. You didn't make the mistake because you were being sloppy or because you were doing something out of band. It was, it was a learning opportunity. And just about every single one of us that's done this for any considerable amount of time can probably read off a longer list of mistakes and failures than successes, but it's part of what helps you grow. And it's something that we're always looking to, to instill and, and foster and hire for. Yeah, I love that. I actually got my first job because at a property management software company. And the only reason I got it is and you, at the time it was how it worked is you had to interview with eight different managers. And the two things they looked at, the big one was like, do you know SQL? And uh, I mean, I didn't know SQL. I didn't even know how to spell SQL, but I knew some accounting and I was like, I mean, it was uh, like a junior kind of role. Like I started out as a technical account manager. And uh, so you're basically just like trouble, troubleshooting, working with customers. And But I remember seven of the eight managers were like, he doesn't know SQL, so it's a hard no. And then I had this one guy who I'll never forget, his name was Anthony Harris, who was an entrepreneur, sold his company. So he was the manager for this group within the kind of larger organization. He's And so all you see all of the managers and he's like laughing because he's, oh, I'll take him for my team. Are you kidding me? He's like very open, willing to learn, sent me to San Francisco, took a two-day SQL class there, came back, and now I run a tech podcast, <laughs> which is really Look funny. <laughs> yeah, which is actually really funny. I ran into, in Santa Barbara, not that long ago, I ran into a few folks from there, and they're like, hey, man, dude, what are you doing now? And I was like, oh, I got this technology podcast. And they're like, what? No way. <laughs> so it's been, it's been like a decade, and so it's kind of funny to see. But yeah, if you're willing to learn and kind of be, this is exactly right. You're not sending people to the moon. You're not curing cancer. And my premise is, I mean, a lot of it are, we talk a lot about human centric stories, but I mean, if you're a leader and you've got a workforce challenge and you say, Hey, the talent isn't there. Some of the solutions are developing your own talent pipeline, trying to bring people, the right people in, 
I get there's some key parts that are kind of hard to train up and you, you need some yeah. senior folks, but I think finding a creative solution to your problem is kind of the definition of a leader. Like you have to go find a solution and everyone's suffering kind of from the same workforce challenges. It's, it's fun to see leaders come up with solutions to the different challenges in different, whether it's cities or states. And then I like what you said about celebrating the wins. Do you have any, one CIO told me they're like, Hey, we'd love to celebrate wins. And do you get like any, any funny gifts that you get people or like example would be, I had one CIO go, Hey, this person loves pizza and Gatorade. And I was like, okay. So anytime there was a win, this person was getting pizza and Gatorade. I'm like, in high school, I didn't know it was like a high schooler do you have any like fun gifts or wacky things or anything like that we haven't done the we haven't done the gift thing and there no so the short answer is no we haven't done the gift thing i mean what we do during our our all hands-on staff meetings they frankly tend to be a little clowny by design if people start new they have to tell the worst dad joke they know there's a lot of poking fun at each other and just trying to be more of a relaxed environment yeah we do the, this is the state of where we're at. These are the things that are going on. Every time, anytime that it's possible, we try to go around the room to all of the assistant directors or the team leads and kind of give shout outs to the people that, that have really done something either remarkable or something that really mattered without any incident, right? Which in tech is sometimes a miracle in itself. And we do it more of a team building type thing. We do birthday cake, you know, that, that day as well. We haven't done the gift thing, but as, as far as getting feedback, which is something we haven't really talked about yet, one of the things we do here that we started with the management team, actually, because the rest of the staff gets performance reviews and all that, right? But staff doesn't get to do a performance review on their boss. But we started a couple of years ago implementing a, a 360 anonymous review for the staff to rank certain skill sets and, and things that the management team does, as well as give us some general feedback about the types of things that they would like to see. And we actually just wrapped it up. And that's one of the things that came up, more of those team building type things. I think the changes that have happened where not everyone sees each other every day of the week anymore. It's been a struggle in some instances. It's been very rewarding and very beneficial in a lot of other ways. But sometimes you do kind of lose that touch. So that's something we're actively looking at. And it's self-reflection for the management team, too, to realize, hey, you know what? This is an area we could be doing better in. So it's definitely something we talk about. I love the self-reflection. Yeah, the 360 review. That's great. What's your worst What's your worst dad joke? You got one top of mind? <laughs> what's your worst dad joke? J joke, you're killing me. I know. What's your worst dad Acor joke? According to my kids, it's anything I say. I know you got one top of mind. Come on. Come on. What do you call a cow with no legs? I don't know. Ground beef. Oh, uh, I love it. And then... Terrible. That I, I, if I had, if I could reach my roadcaster board, I'd do the little, you can press a little button and it's like the, that on done. Dad trombone. Yeah. Okay. Worst Marvel. dad joke. Love that. Fantastic. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. <laughs> I hope your staff listens to this and then they make fun of you. Um, no, they have not heard of this joke. It's afterwards. par for course. I'm sure that they will. It's... <laughs> I love it. Way to take that. Way to take that in stride. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay. So I've heard. 360 reviews, kind of ranking the management team and having that self-awareness. I think that's amazing. I think kind of opening up and seeing what the staff would love from the management team is a is an awesome step just in just in improving and growing the team. I was kind of curious if you could just because I know we're gonna we're shortly running out of time, but you could maybe just walk us through a challenging project or a situation 
where you had to make some difficult decisions, but it was for the best to ensure the team's success. Kind of how did you navigate those decisions? Love to hear kind of your insight on that. That's a, that, that's a tough one. And when we spoke about when we spoke about some of this, I think when we met originally, right, how you handle that, I think it's difficult depending on the environment and the situation, because when I think it starts with having self-awareness, I had kind of mentioned that before, right? It's as much as experience tends to create a sense of confidence. Sometimes when you're a leader, just a regular, just anyone in your personal life, right? The more you do things in repetition, you, you become more confident in what it is. And I think it's incredibly important as difficult and vulnerable as it makes you sometimes it's to, to sit back and realize just what it really should mean to be a leader. Right. I think that the, I think part of leadership is hard. I mean, it should be hard if you're doing it right. And I think that part of that is because you are the steward or the caretaker at that point of your staff, of the situation. And there's a lot of fine tuning that happens and Every decision has a ripple effect. Sometimes you have to make a decision that's 51% better than the alternative. So not all decisions are the best ones always in hindsight. What you have to do is make the best call that you can with the information that you have. We've, I've been part of projects. I mean, there, there's been projects here at the city. There's been projects I've been part of in the past where you have to take a step back. And I think there's a fine line sometimes between being stubborn and thinking you're going to make, you're going to will it into existence and realizing, you know what, this really just isn't working. And sometimes that has to do with maybe you're working with a bad partner. Maybe you're working with a vendor that's just not delivering, right? Maybe it's the, maybe it's a team you put together. Maybe it's the way you're addressing it and being able to identify those. I think when I look back at opportunities to learn from some of the leadership decisions I've had to make, it's really when it becomes more people centric, right? Because it's important to have people understand why certain things are happening sometimes. And sometimes you're just met with, I guess, defensiveness, right? Or protection because no one wants to be heard or told that the way that we are doing things or th these are the decisions that are being made and how they affect you. That's something that has always weighed on me. And I know that it weighs on at least the rest of my management team here. And that's something that you have to take into account as you make those decisions. Sometimes it's swapping people in and out of a project, right? Sometimes it's kind of restructuring things in a department. And sometimes it's just knowing when maybe the path that you're on just isn't working correctly, right? Maybe it's the technology selected. Maybe it's the product you're putting in, right? And that does take vulnerability sometimes. And that does come at a cost and with consequences. And then I found that to be for me, and I've had this conversation with some of my peers as well. It's hard to make that call sometimes because there, there is no, there's no playbook, right? There, there's no perfect answer for every situation. And a lot of it has to come from understanding your environment, your team, your capabilities, and not worry so much about the external pressures sometimes. It's being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes sometimes to make those calls are difficult. No, that was great. Thank you for sharing. I know exactly what you said, like leadership is hard. It can be fun or yeah, it can definitely be fun and rewarding. I always just use basketball because it happens on a regular, that's the most interaction I feel like I have with folks on a consistent basis. And it can be challenging with playing time with parents. Yeah. Plenty of people disagree with calls that I make. I've had parents scream at me, which is never okay, but you're <laughs> like, it happens, especially when you decide right. to sit a player and 
the parent doesn't like it, but when they turn the ball over seven times, I'm sorry, you will not play. You'll get some time in, but that just means it's time to go back to the classroom. It's time to get better. But yeah, leadership often requires making tough decisions. And hey, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? And, and projects, are the decisions are, you said it. Sometimes you make a call, 51%, you think, you as you kind of just take the information you have and you're like, hey, how can we make the best call for the team, for the mission? And sometimes it's just not that easy. Sometimes you need to sit somebody. Sometimes you need to get a new product. Sometimes you need to just make adjustments. And that's just kind of the reality of making calls and working with teams and individuals and humans, just figuring out that human dynamic. And I think realizing too that like, when you get a bunch of humans together, it's just kind of messy. Like, it's just Absolutely. like, like yeah. life is messy. Like organizations are messy. There's sometimes this perception that like everything is beautiful on the outside. And like, it's okay that like sometimes things are just messy and chaotic. Like you can't see it. My desk is in total chaos right now because I'm just running around. I got back from Tallahassee like the other night and then I – my son has been in my room and everything's a, everything that you can find for a book turns into a lightsaber or a Frisbee, <laughs> right? And it's like, everything's chaos and it's okay. So sometimes we just have yeah. to embrace that. And, and, but no, I really thank you for sharing just the kind of vulnerability and, and I know behind the scenes, I get, I know behind the scenes that I talk with just so many CIOs that behind the scenes, like it's messy. Projects are messy. Deadlines get missed. Like, it happens. It shouldn't be shocking to you. And as right. a leader, you're kind of just, hey, how can we plan this, make the adjustments? How can we get better, have that growth mindset, which makes it really fun. So something that I was thinking about as I was going through this is just kind of the, as I was thinking about the podcast questions was like, how, I think multiplying leaders is what came to mind. And so I was kind mm -hmm. of curious, like, how do you think about multiplying Franks, like, or maybe multiplying. I don't, I, maybe I don't, I don't want to multiply. Anyone in my life would want more Franks. Let me, let me tell you that. That's, <laughs> you, yeah. I think my wife would say the same thing. She's like, one of you is enough. And now she's got me and Jack, which is great. Yeah. But how do you think about multiplying leaders? Yeah. How do you think about that concept? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to where this conversation started, right? With looking at this as an intern, right? You, you put in the effort, right? And you coach up, bring this all back to the sporting theme, Joe, and I'm going to keep throwing basketball references at you, right? You know, as much as you coach up, I mean, why do you coach? Why do you, why do you groom staff? Why do you teach? It's so that they get better. And there's been people that have worked for me, have worked with me, and I've told them only half joking sometimes. One day I'm going to end up working for you when you take over your own shop, right? It's, I think, one of the most rewarding things for me, and I've done this for enough time now where I've seen kind of the fruit of some of that effort earlier in my career kind of pay off, right? People that my team or me directly took under my wing, like where they are now in their careers to be able to see that you made an impact in someone's life and someone's professional career goals, I think is a great thing. I mean, ultimately people are your biggest asset when you're a leader. Anyone could be a boss. Anyone could be a shift manager at a Burger King. Those things are in and out for your side of the country there, Joe. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're leading them, right? And if you really look at it as people are your biggest assets, you're going to do everything you can to protect that and, and to grow them. In a lot of cases, just about everyone that I know, if they'll tell you if there are two or three people on your team that you think are great, what are they? And they'll write the names off right away. Chances are that the future 
is usually already on your team, whether it's the future of your company and it's part of a succession plan, whether it's a future somewhere else. I think having that mindset where you're only one of your responsibilities as a leader is to make sure that you can create those that come after you and create those opportunities, whether you had them or whether you didn't. And that's your ability to kind of do right when maybe you didn't get that choice. I think those things are incredibly important. A lot of times as you're doing that, what I've learned is people often forget what you say, but they don't forget how you made them feel in the moment. And you're a coach and I had the background that I did and there's always coach speak and there's the sound bites and there's whatever's in the press conference, right? And a lot of times that stuff comes across as insincere, but when you have those abilities to really connect with your staff and make them feel valuable, have them understand why you're bringing them in to certain situations. Something that we try to do is if we know just from ongoing communication with our staff, from constant feedback, we know that you're interested in something and maybe that something isn't part of what your job is, right? Maybe it's just an interest. Or maybe you have input that might help with something, just including people and making them feel like they understand and giving that them kind of that well-rounded view of things, I think helps that process along too, because it has them step out from the little bubble that they're in. And some people just don't have the interest in being quote unquote leaders or managing other people. That's not what they're good at. But the same type of fundamental things that you would do to train someone in a management training program you don't have to run a department or a division to be a leader. If you're part of a team, you could be kind of the person that everyone leans on, the one that you know you train and you teach the others on how to do that. And part of the reason that I'm incredibly proud of the team that we have here is we've seen that happen sometimes from the unlikeliest of people, right? And that means that the culture you kind of put together works, right? They take it upon themselves. They take pride in their work. They do the things when no one is looking and they push and pull each other when they need it. And I think that's really a testament in practice of how you see those, those teams really just come to their maximum capabilities. Yes. The classic, and you look at the stat line sheet and over the years, we've had players like zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists and whatever. The whole stat line is empty. They play majority of the game. And so sometimes kids are like, Hey, this person isn't even scoring. Why are they playing? And you go, they're the only one who's talking the entire game. It's incredibly valuable to have someone on the court pointing out defensively, trying to get the other guys to speak. And, and it might not show up on the stat line of steals, but if you have active hands all over the ball. I mean, you're tipping deflections, like, again, very valuable component of having the team. But I, yeah, I love what you said in the, at the first part of this segment of making an impact. And that's... I think seeing like seeing and like believing in your staff or in my case, like with high schoolers, the potential that they have before they even see it in themselves is I think one of the coolest things I see is like human yeah. is like that person Absolutely. can go do that. Even if they don't right. believe that they can do it today, I know that they have the capability to go do that. And then, yeah, I mean, people, I mean, for a lot of organizations, I know People are going to be your biggest line item. So when I say line item for those folks, it's a PNL, <laughs> profit and loss statement. Yeah. And but they're also your biggest asset. I mean, mm -hmm. that's seriously your biggest asset. Invest in your team, and yeah, it's going to feel. It's going to pay. It's going to pay dividends. Awesome. This was a blast, Frank. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again and meeting just meeting more of the team that you're building and uh, in Miami Beach. 
Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a fun talk. Thank you. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.